grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, third chapter, verses 20 through 35. Jesus entered a house. A crowd gathered again so that it was impossible for him and his followers to even eat. When his family heard what was happening, they came to take control of him. They were saying, he's out of his mind. The Torah experts came down from Jerusalem. Over and over, they charged. He is possessed by Beelzebub. He throws out demons with the authority of the ruler of demons. When Jesus called them together, he spoke to them in a parable. How can Satan throw Satan out? A kingdom involved in civil war will collapse, and a house torn apart by divisions will collapse. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, then he cannot endure. He's done for. No one gets into the house of a strong person and steals anything without first tying up the strong person. Only then can the house be burglarized. I assure you that human beings will be forgiven for everything, for all sins and insults of every kind. But whoever insults the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. That person is guilty of sin with consequences that last forever. Jesus said this because the Torah experts were saying he's possessed by an evil spirit. Jesus's mother and brothers arrived. They stood outside and sent word to him, calling for him. A crowd was seated around Jesus and those sent to him said, look, your mother, brothers, and sisters are outside looking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? Looking around at those seated around him in a circle, he said, look, here are my mother and siblings. Whoever does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. A reading from the second scroll of Samuel. Standing beside the gate as all the troops marched out, the king gave orders to Joab, Abishai, and Etai. For my sake, protect my boy Absalom. 
So the troops marched into the field to meet the Israelites. The battle was fought in the Ephraim forest. The army of Israel was defeated there by David's soldiers. A great slaughter of 20,000 men took place that day. The battle spread out over the entire countryside. The forest devoured more soldiers than the sword that day. Absalom came upon some of David's men. Absalom was riding on a mule and the mule went under a tangled branch of a large oak tree. Absalom's head got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair when the mule under him kept going. One of the men saw this and reported to Joab. I just saw Absalom hanging from an oak tree. Joab said to the man who told him, you saw this. Why didn't you kill him on the spot? I would have given you 10 pieces of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, even if I had a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I wouldn't touch the king's son. We heard what the king commanded you. For my sake, take care of my boy, Absalom. Joab said, I won't waste time like this with you. He took three spears in his hand and drove them into Absalom's chest while he was still alive in the oak. Then 10 young armored bearers of Joab surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Then Joab sounded the trumpet and the troops stopped chasing the Israelites because Joab held them back. Now David was sitting between the two, two gates. The watchman on duty came up on the roof of the gate by the wall. He looked out and saw a man running alone. The watchman called out and reported this to the king. The messenger arrived and said, my master, the king, listen to this good news. The Holy One has vindicated you this day against the power of all those who rose up against you. The king said, is my boy Absalom okay? The messenger answered, may the enemies of my master, the king, and all who rise up against you to hurt you end up like that young man. The king trembled. He went up to the room over the gate and cried. As he went, he said, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, my son. Oh, my son, Absalom. If only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sitting at the phone. Waiting. Praying leaving another voice message and then another. Hannah is exhausted, desperate, not alone among 7,000 passengers stranded on the island of Newfoundland in Canada. In 2017, Broadway audiences met Hannah in the musical Come From Away which told the story of how a small town, Gander, welcomed travelers from 38 plains, forced to land 
after the Twin Towers that once dominated the Manhattan skyline collapsed under the weight of assaults. Hannah is unrelenting. Hannah again picks up the phone. Her son, Kevin, is a firefighter in Rescue Unit 2 in New York City. Hello? Hello, it's me again. I am telling you, listen. My son, he takes risks. He is not missing. He's helping or hurt. He'll get out of this. Yes, I'll keep trying. And yes, here's the number. And yes, at the Legion in Gander, I'll be right here. To the operator, to the fire department, to Kevin's voicemail, Hannah repeats, I am here. I am here. I am here. I can feel a lump forming in my throat. Perhaps you can too. It tightens with the tension between what Hannah does not yet know and what audiences two decades later suspect is true. It is the same tightness that seized me when the point of view in our reading pivoted to David. David sitting at the gates, the Bronze Age version of waiting by the phone. David eager for good news about his boy Absalom, unaware of what we have witnessed. Long hair caught in the tree branches, three spears to the chest, the sound of Joab's horn blasting through the forest. Oh, David, don't sit at the gate. Wait in your fortress instead. Lock yourself in your royal bedchambers alone with your thoughts. Don't sit at the gates where bad news is speeding on a messenger's feet. Don't set yourself up for heartbreak. But that is the nature of this father's heart, to wait with urgency, rendering itself vulnerable to the worst news a parent can receive. The king is not alone in that vulnerability tonight. 20,000 lives cut short that day. A great slaughter we heard in which the forest devoured more soldiers than the sword. Too many parents will discover that death has ransacked their hearts, which is the literal meaning of the word bereft. Bereft, to be reft or reaved, to be robbed in its original sense. Civil war might smash windows and burn fields, but it plunders the most precious thing of all, human life, our children, our loved ones. Wherever the scrolls of Samuel have been read, listeners have identified with 
David's mournful cry, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, my son, my son, Absalom. It is the cry of a broken heart, broken into by death. And I imagine, I imagine Mary's heart must have felt dangerously close to breaking in this early moment in her son's public campaign for the kingdom of God. Jesus' healings and teachings, those already drew too much attention. And now this pressing crowd, oh, it's out of control. Not to mention Torah experts igniting a satanic panic. I can hear the fear course through Mary's heart, wondering, when will the occupying Roman forces notice the ruckus and crush any potential rebellion? How can I keep my boy safe? Am I too late? Rallying her daughters and sons, Mary could not wait like David. He was a king who could command, for my sake, take care of my boy Absalom. But she had to put her body on the line to protect her firstborn. Little did she know that Jesus was already breaking into the stronghold of death and destruction. No one gets into the house of a strong person, Jesus says. No one gets into the house and steals anything without first tying up the strong person. Can't you imagine the Torah experts exchanging sideways glances? Breaking and entering? Burglarizing? What is this guy talking about? Breaking and entering sounds to me like words the early church preserved. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, like a thief in the night. So keep alert. Jesus is not launching a civil war like Absalom. He is not hungry for power or for the throne. No, Jesus is stealthily wrapping the strong person in ropes so that they cannot stop the Savior from plundering the house of plunder, from robbing the house of robbery. No wonder then that Jesus was sentenced to die as a thief crucified between two bandits. But what are we to call this strong householder? Jesus doesn't say uh, Satan is the obvious choice. Jesus' ministry of healing in chapters previous has already outraged demonic spirits. But it's harder, isn't it, to take at face value demons or demonic forces in the 21st century than it was in the first century. Luckily, pastor and writer Nadia Boltz Weber points out that the word demon in the Greek New Testament, daimon, has the root da, 
which means to divide. A demon, she writes, is that which causes us to fracture, to become less whole. Now, ideally, Jesus and the Torah experts and the leaders in Jerusalem would agree that faithfulness to the Holy One, the God who makes us whole, entails opposition to such divisive, demonic power. But the forces that fracture, they also do an excellent job at distracting us from what really matters. That's certainly true for David, whose refusal to deal with family conflict has now robbed Israel's parents of 20,000 children. It's true for Joab, once killing for David's sake to cover up scandal, now choosing murder because he believes it's in David's best interest. Even Mary, who admittedly has a strong track record of focusing on the faithfulness of God, even Mary can get distracted by the goal to protect her son. But Jesus does not need to be protected. Here is a mystery. Jesus, whose flesh is vulnerable to hunger and hurt, is more powerful than the strong person. Here is a mystery, and here is the grace that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Look around the circle and see how divine power pulses in ordinary people, seeking to align their hearts with God's own heart. They don't have the strong bonds of family, blood family at least, but their broken pieces make a mosaic that reflects God's love to the whole world. Or gaze upon David at the gate, keening for Absalom, the mighty king, so human. Oh, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, and he meant it, of course. All parents mean that. If he could have done the boys dying for him, he would have done it. If he could have paid the price for his son's betrayal of him, inciting a civil war, he would have paid it. He would have given his own life to make Absalom alive again. But even a king can't do that. Instead, it takes a God. For even now, God is weeping with David, forgiving all the words left unsaid between father and son. Even now, God accompanies the world, not far off, but right here and now. A presence 
in which we can begin our journey to healing. Such is God's presence that extends mending and wholeness to each of us. Such is the presence of the God of resurrection. Especially now, God whispers, I am here. I am here. When oil spills into the ocean and catches a blaze, I am here, already tying up the forces of destruction. When the politics of a nation take on the flavor of a soap opera or a UFC match, I am here, already knocking at the hearts of legislators and leaders. Especially now, especially in this local community, which is changing and welcoming new neighbors, a time when we might be tempted to insulate or protect ourselves, God is here, already saving, already rebuilding, already making all things new. If only we would pause and listen to that presence, the still small voice, the foolish wisdom of Christ crucified, the gravity of love that draws us in. If only we would pause to offer our weaknesses to God, that they might become strong and whole in the service of others. To those of us who are citizens of the United States of America, which celebrates almost two and a half years of existence, two and a half centuries of existence today, the presence of God extends grace enough for us to tend to our nation's wounds. And this is hard. This is hard for a people who are suspicious of weakness their own weaknesses, and others. It is hard, but not impossible, certainly not with God. I recently found encouragement for this in the observation that our national anthem is full of questions. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light? Oh, say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave or the land of the free and the home of the brave? Our national anthem ends with a question mark, which invites us to write the next verse. And I imagine that disciples in Canada and Mexico, in Syria and Sudan and Sri Lanka would be glad to help disciples in the U.S. think of new stanzas that attend to the healing of heartbreak or to the bravery it takes to seek justice, walk humbly with our God. Regardless of country or continent or even century, God is powerfully present among the weak weeping with the bereaved, 
forging families of faith, weaving new stories for those who believe themselves to be strong. Jesus has already bound the strong forces of death and destruction and has given us grace to say to our neighbors, I am here for such grace. Let us give all glory and gratitude to God, the song of the psalmists, the strength of the lowly, sovereign and shepherd of all. Amen.